This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hello. And with Rebecca Ford. Hi. We have so much to talk about. This is our first episode recording after the Golden Globes. We're recording this uh, minutes after the SAG Award nominations have come out. The Governor's Awards happened this week. Oscar nomination voting begins this week. It's all really happening. So we're really just going to take stock of the season as a whole since, you know, you can either say a lot has shifted or nothing, but we've learned a lot. There's been a lot of data points in the past couple of days. But before we get into any of that, we wanted to let you guys know that on Tuesday, January 16th, coming right up, we're hosting the very first ever Little Gold Men Live, which is incredibly exciting. It's something we've been wanting to happen for years. Uh, David and Richard and I will all be there in person. We'll be recording an episode with Lily Gladstone. You've heard of her. Uh, she'll be there <laughs> alongside Jacqueline West and Julie O'Keefe, who you've also heard on this podcast. They're the costume designers for Killers of the Flower Moon. And we would like to give you the chance to attend. If you're in L.A., if you're going to be around, you can email littlegoldmen at vf.com, the same place you always email us. Make the subject line Little Gold Men Live and include your first and last name. And we'll follow up with more information if we can offer you a seat. It's not a guaranteed thing at these points. Uh, this is all well above our pay grade. Um, and if you're wondering, Rebecca won't be joining us. Uh, but, Rebecca, you have very good reason. Would you like to tell people? Yes, this is this is going to be my last recording for a little bit. I'm I'm going to head out on maternity leave to have a child and have a <laughs> have a life outside of this podcast. But I'll be back. <laughs> uh, if if there's anything I've learned from my previous maternity leaves is you think you're glad to get away from Oscar season, and then after a few days you're like, tell me everything. What was going on at the shows? So uh, you'll be very well informed when you come back. I think I'm going to have a little a lot of FOMO, but it'll be unique to watch the Oscars from home. I I don't know if I've ever done that since I started this work. So we'll see how it goes. I would just ask that when when you have your baby and you're holding them in your arms, you do the Oscar thing and go like, oh, heavy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Did you know that an Oscar weighs about the same as a newborn? It's about eight pounds for both. So well, I mean, people work just as hard to get both. So <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> well, Rebecca, we will obviously miss you uh, and look forward to you returning. But also you have a well-earned break ahead of you. And when we're doing our live show, uh, I think we're all going to come up with like our signal, like for you know viewers at home, like we'll all put our hands up in the air at the same time. And that's how you know that we're thinking of you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so again, if you want more information about this, if maybe you want to attend, email littlegoldmen at vf.com with the subject line, Little Gold Men Live. Include your first and last name, and um, maybe we'll see you there. So let's get into it. As I said, we haven't recorded since the Golden Globes. The SAG nominations are very fresh. Um, and it was David's suggestion, actually, instead of trying to uh, spin our heads around, trying to keep track of who got nominated where and snubbed, and I've already lost track, um, that we can just go category by category on what we've learned. So we may as well start with Best Picture. And with some recency bias, I think starting with the SAG Ensemble nominations makes sense because you got... A lot of exactly what you expected and Barbie and Oppenheimer in there. And then um, I kind of wanted to start with Color Purple. It showed up in yeah. ensemble nomination. It's something we'd really had our eye on as maybe on the bubble at this point. I think its appearance in SAG Ensemble is a pretty good sign for this movie, right? It's what it, it's it's an interesting sort of, you know, good news, bad news situation. The good news is that it absolutely needed this. Uh, this is the biggest piece of industry recognition the film has gotten so far. It is the group where it most obviously would have shown up. They love big blockbusters. They love big ensemble casts of actors they know. Um, so that's all well and good, and especially good that Daniel Brooks made uh, the supporting actress lineup, uh, despite some snubs there, which we can get into more. Um, the not-so-good news is that there almost always is one movie in this five that does not go into a Best Picture nomination. And the other four movies nominated here I would consider locks. Uh, American Fiction, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Barbenheimer. And so that puts it in an interesting position. It has happened before that all five make it through, but I think that this both keeps its hopes alive for a Best Picture nomination, and it also puts it in a pretty clear category as to why that would not necessarily materialize still. Thank you for the reminder that I had fully forgotten that Babylon got a Best Ensemble <laughs> nomination at SAG last year. Um, congrats, Margot Robbie. You're still going strong. <laughs> She's um, going strong. <laughs> Rebecca, you wrote in our um, Subs and Surprises how there was probably one very obvious film that um, did not make it into Ensemble because The Color Purple did. Yeah, I think we're, we're all a little surprised to see Poor Things didn't uh, make it in there. I I'm struggling, you know, as David said, this group does lean towards the more flashy blockbustery movies, and that's not what Poor Things is, but it's just been doing so well overall that I feel like this is its first uh, little stumbling block. And, and you know, once we get to actor, we or supporting actor, we also noticed that um, Mark Ruffalo was left off. So it's, I it doesn't worry me that much. I feel like the Academy is still going to be pretty big on that film, but it, I think it, it's the one that lost out because Color Purple got in. However, the Poor Things cast is riding high because they won the Golden Globe just a few days ago mm -hmm. over Barbie, mm -hmm. um, which I think those were kind of the two big competitions there. Um, Rebecca, you predicted that Poor Things would win, so congratulations. Thank um, you. Thank you. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that we don't, you know, it's a stumbling block, but doesn't feel like anything really serious for poor things at this point. Yeah, it does feel like they are still front of mind with Emma's win and that win, you know, so I don't think it hurts it. I think the cast of uh, The Color Purple showing up 
at the SAG Awards sort of in force. You know, they're a very dynamic group. It's mm-hmm. There's Oprah with them and, you know, Taraji. And they get a lot of uh, attention when they're out and about. So I think that will be a, a big uh, boost for them to be able to really be out there at the SAG Awards. And Taraji P. Henson has pulled off a SAG Ensemble upset before with Hidden Figures. So yes, yes. Has. you never know. Who knows how far it can go here because of exactly that. It feels like a movie that SAG could embrace very, very wholly. Yeah. And Henson has been out, you know, recently, and she said this before, talking about the the pay inequities, uh, largely for women of color in the industry. Um, and I know that that is an issue that a lot of actors, are presumably in SAG and after, care about. Um, so I don't know, maybe Henson kind of speaking truth to, you know, her industry uh, puts that movie not only in the uh, the running because of the quality of the film, but also the performances, but, you know, as a political sort of act in a way. Yeah, that group has a lot of love, you know, you think from the stage and, you know, Corey Hawkins and Daniel Brooks, uh, like there's a lot of Coleman Domingo, like there's a lot of love for that group. So it does, it definitely feels like a strong place for them. I, I one last thing I would say is um I didn't actually predict poor things here just because of everything you were saying Rebecca it's it's not the the mainstream uh, friendly pick uh, and there's another movie that we're definitely going to talk about that was hit even harder by that fact but I I had instead of color purple which just seemed to be fading and I'm I'm glad it didn't fully fade here I had saltburn mm. <laughs> um which has had a very tumultuous journey since its premiere in Telluride. Um, but one thing I've noticed is it has been seen so widely and it popped up so consistently on the BAFTA long lists, which doesn't always mean a ton, uh, especially for a British film. But I think that if it could have gotten something here, either an ensemble or, or Rosamund Pike for supporting actors, that, that would have signaled it actually had a place in the Oscar conversation. And I had convinced myself it did again, and now I'm back to thinking it probably does not. Because I, I think... Even though it's a very weird movie, in its own way, it is kind of mainstream and it has generated a ton of conversation, you know, more than May, December even. And I think that uh, this is probably a place it would have needed to show up somewhere. I do think Saltburn probably will do well at the bags, though, which is the Bathtub Actors Guild. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm joking, but obviously. But like, but like that, I feel it took like me a minute. I wonder if that, that viral scene that people, I don't know if you guys are aware, there's a whole TikTok thing about it. If you want to be grossed out, look it up. Um, people are making bathtub blank cocktails um, <laughs> with real food, don't we? Um, Pardon? Yeah, yeah, you can look it up. You can look it up. I don't um, want to. Anyway. I don't want to look it up. There's so much else you can make in this world. Why would you do that? <laughs> because TikTok is the worst place on in the world. Um, I, I genuinely... <laughs> those TikTokers are trying to ruin those people's nice nine-month cruise. Um, and they're in after us, so they vote. Yeah. This is this is reinforcing oh my, my point God, here. That's right. We're doomed. Um, but I, I just do kind of wonder if, obviously, Saltburn's virality helps the profile of that movie just in terms of like you know people seeing it but um i wonder if it's maybe taken a slight dip in in like serious consideration um because it's Mm. become sort of a meme it's too bad because it is an incredible ensemble like i thought this was yeah that was also i thought yeah Uh, to detour back to the Globes for a minute, we talked about poor things winning in comedy. Um, we should really just kind of say as a blanket that Oppenheimer had an incredibly dominant night at the Golden Globes. I think the stat is that it's the first film to win five Golden Globes since Gandhi. Um, I don't want to say that making it up, but it's a very hard thing to do, which doesn't seem like it because films win five Oscars all the time. But there's fewer categories, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
I think some of us thought Killers of the Flower Moon might win that drama prize. Um, but then yeah, Oppenheimer well, came out in such force. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did predict it for <laughs> our website. Yeah. Um, but I, Richard, I assume you were also not shocked when Oppenheimer walked away with it instead. No, no. I mean, predicting that was a total toss up, you know, between Oppenheimer and, and Flower Moon. And I think Oppenheimer clearly had the momentum of the evening. Um, and I get it. I mean, I think that. We talked about when we were trying to predict the Globes last week that like with the addition of the new sort of like voting people, not they're not in the HPA, but they vote for the Globes like and there are a lot of film journalists. You, maybe you can kind of vaguely look at it as a critics group. And while Flower Moon has done very well with critics, and that's why I predicted it, uh, duh, Richard, so has Oppenheimer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it really was a toss up. And I do think that maybe there just is something just that box office pushes Oppenheimer over the edge. Maybe people view them as sort of neck and neck creatively, whatever, but oh, it also, you know, gave the movie industry another year to kind of limp along, hopefully towards better. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I think Killers also has Lily Gladstone, which is such an, at Mm -hmm. this point, clear major victory for that movie. Uh, And it's, it's, there's been a coalescing around her as the way to honor that movie. The Globes definitely reinforce that. I don't know that Oppenheimer has that in the same way. I mean, Best Actor is pretty competitive. Robert Downey Jr. is in supporting. Um, obviously, Christopher Nolan is a strong frontrunner and Best Director, um, but it does make it, you know, the face of the movie is its achievement at the box office in a lot of ways. And I think that this that's where you honor it in the top category. While we're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer to some extent, um, the SAG ensemble nominations, like who is actually listed in the ensemble, is kind of an annual fascination for me. And as far as I know, the rules are pretty simple. It's that if you get a single title card, you're on the list, Um, which obviously really benefits people who have agents who can uh, negotiate Mm -hmm. where they place in the credits. I mean, every time you see a movie with like three withs and ands at the end of it, you know, there's been some hardcore negotiations that. (laughs) Um, So with Oppenheimer, it's funny that like Josh Hartnett is there, but David Crumholtz isn't, or, you know, you get Rami Malek singled out, but not Dane DeHaan or something like that. Benny Safdie is not there. Benny Safdie, mm-hmm. yeah. Alden Ehrenreich, not there. Yeah, I mean, the, that, movie is, that movie is so massive that they couldn't have made room for everybody. And it feels funny that they did what they did. But Killers of the Flower Moon is where it's a, it's a problem. Um, the <laughs> yeah. extent to which it's uh, white actors credited and not the very extensive Native cast and people who have much bigger roles. I think Cara Jade Myers, who, David, you interviewed a while ago, who plays um, one of Molly's sisters and in a really incredible role, is the biggest glaring exception to me. Yeah. Kara Jade Myers has a decent shot of getting a BAFTA nomination next week. She is on the long list, and I think a jury could push her through because they have a very weird system, as we've talked about. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you have that strong of an acting contender not on your ensemble list is um, not appropriate. But come <laughs> I would on, say. I feel like you guys are being unfair. We all remember John Lithgow as Prosecutor Peter <laughs> Leeward, don't we? Come on. I mean, I, I, I remember. I remember. I remember the bellow. I remember the bellow. <laughs> well, because he and Brendan Fraser show up, and you're like, "Oh, what yes. movie are we watching yeah, now?" Yeah, it's, um, it's, because it's, it's been so dominated before that by other people. A lot of them native actors. I mean, Tantu Cardinal is on there, as we should say, along with obviously Lily Gladstone. Um, but otherwise, it's all people who've been working in Hollywood a long time and are white actors. That to, This, to me, feels like us. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's happened before, but like a sort of can- coal mine canary where it's like, maybe mm-hmm. this needs to be changed. Because yeah. like you said, Katie, 
a lot of crediting is due to boring agent discussions, you know, and not about contribution to the film in any way, you know, and um, that's, I mean, looking at the Flower Moon and there are, you know, two Native actors nominated and then five white guys is pretty... That's rough for that for that movie for that narrative. Yeah, that's not good. I wonder how they would do it because you don't want to make it can't be too big. Decided yeah. subject subjectively, and you don't want to make it everybody's included. But this way, I mean, this way, I make it made sense in the beginning because it's a hard and fast rule. And if it's about screen time, then what about actors who like? We're in a Terrence Malick movie for, you know, 30 minutes and got, got down, cut down to 10 seconds. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they decide a way that's fair. On the TV side, it's very simple. If you appear in 50% of the episodes, oh, um, I didn't you know are that. eligible. Yeah, so that you were talking about the Gilded Age game, <laughs> and, and that is that is why that list looks the way it does. The, the Gilded um, Age has about maybe 40 names in there on the yes. list. The Gilded Age nominees look like a list of who's presenting at the Tonys. <laughs> but you, you don't need your own title card uh, on the television side in that case. Um, so I think you could do a screen time kind of thing with film. I don't think it would be that difficult. I know that doesn't tell the whole story, but it certainly seems like a better option than what we have right now. I was not expecting the holdovers to get nominated because they don't usually go with really small you know, right. kind of core groups. Um, but I was prepared to be angry that Carrie Preston would not be among mm. the listed nominees because mm-hmm. she does not have her own title card. She's wonderful in the movie. She has a, a good amount to do. Um, so it does affect a lot of these films, and it just doesn't feel like there's an accurate honoring representation of the casts that are supposed to be honored. It doesn't doesn't match up too often. Maybe they say. could do single appearance, you know, in the credits and screen time, you know, and that way you mm-hmm. kind of get everyone involved, mm-hmm. even if there's like a big celebrity who makes a cameo in a movie and you sure. want to get, you know, make the ensemble. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, the, the flip side of the TV thing is that The Last of Us winds up with two nominees in ensemble and because Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey are the only people in uh, more than 50 percent of the episodes. And, you know, Melanie Linsky has gotten attention for the show. Like, it's not a huge crime, but I guess that's the one exception to the rule. Well, also Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett, like mm-hmm. Nick yeah. Offerman just won a Creative Arts Emmy, right? Like, guest supporting actor. As did Storm Reid right. for that show. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's just like, uh, OK, so, yeah, that Last of Us, it got kind of screwed because a kind of the most talked about two performances of that show or three performances with Storm Reid, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, weren't even eligible. Yeah. It's silly. The Barbie ensemble is funny, maybe a little bit less insane, but, you know, basically none of the Kens except for Ryan Gosling making it on there, which Simu Liu actually <laughs> surprises me. Like, he's such an essential part of that movie. Um, but again, the people in Barbie are all doing fine. I don't... <laughs> and a name. That actually did. Yeah, that was the big surprise because he's such a name, too. I wonder whose name Simu Liu is with. In- Maybe King- Kingsley Benadir. I was. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone go back and look at it. But are you saying we have to re- rewatch Barbie? Okay. <laughs> but then there's, uh, you know, American fiction where it's a, a small and tight enough ensemble that you even get like Keith David included on the list, which I was delighted to see. So it, it, it goes both ways. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. 
Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? What's the right amount of socializing for you? And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people, or maybe you need more alone time. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash littlegoldmen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash little gold men. Well, if we're going category by category, that means that next should be director. And we should say we're recording before the DGA nominations are coming out, which will be very interesting in terms of who um, might be nominated at the Oscars. But I think at this point, it's pretty clear who's going to win. Uh, Christopher Nolan did not have to feud with Peloton to get everyone to want to talk about him and celebrate him. I think there could be some backlash. I mean, there's always backlash. God knows this week the takes have been crazy. Um, but I think the Nolan train is really firmly in place. It's hard to see, knock on wood, what could derail it at this point. Yeah, I think especially because that voting system is not like best picture. You know, the the chances of like a, a preferential wave overtaking Oppenheimer, there is a world in which that could happen, but that doesn't happen in director. It's just yeah. who they vote for. Yeah. Uh, and that feels like um, Christopher Nolan will easily rack up the most votes based on the way this is going. The one interesting thing for me in director, um, which I would imagine does not impact DGA because they almost always nominate American films anyway. So um, we'll see if we're right about this. Um is the rise of Anatomy of a Fall because there's a consensus that Jonathan Glazer is already getting into director at this point. Um, in the events I went to over the many, many events uh, that <laughs> have been going on over the past week, you know, there has been a lot of talk about him getting into director and people feeling really confident in that. Um, but I think Justin Trier could as well. Um, Anatomy of a Fall won screenplay and international film at the, excuse me, uh, non-English language film, a key distinction, Mm -hmm. uh, at the Golden Globes. And it seemed like that movie really had a moment. It is the movie I hear about the most from Academy members, and I'm not exaggerating. And when we were talking about The Color Purple earlier and why it still might have a tough time in picture, that movie and Zone of Interest are are one reason why. And seeing how strong they would be in director is is really interesting to me if they could both get in. It feels like an upward climb just based on the fact we're talking about a world where there would be three women nominated in, in this category that never nominates what? women. Women don't direct I, enough movies for that, Rebecca. That's crazy. Rebecca, I think you just need to go on maternity leave I, now. It's just what, a, what an insane I, thing to I say. I don't know if I, like, if we assume Greta's getting in and I feel pretty good about Celine, I don't know. Uh, I guess we should talk about past lives and SAG and things like that. But three women 
I, I think our heads would explode. I don't know. I just don't know how to. Interesting. How to, I, I don't know that either of those. I don't know that either of those are safe. You don't um, think Greta is safe? No. Really? Oh, man. I have too much faith in this group of voters, I guess. I mean, I've talked about this before, but I just, especially given how strong the international films are this year, I wonder how hard that branch will be on successful movies. And uh, I think it's just a sad reality that they will more likely be harder on Barbie than Oppenheimer. Yeah, in that yeah that's true. I think the lingering fear of Barbie snobbery was really uh, reactivated at the Golden Globes, which is not mm-hmm. supposed to be a snobby organization. It's usually the opposite. But Barbie winning box office achievement as well as song, which I think we all knew it would, um, and then poor things getting comedy felt very much like, OK, well, here's your prize about like getting a lot of people to wear pink and go to the movies. And now let's give something to the serious movie, um, which I don't think is necessarily the thinking. And I don't think that's fair. But I think for people who've been really worried about Barbie, it um, it brought all those fears back up. And I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. I mean, I thought that like it was a shame because the opening monologue jokes about Barbie were so elevated and sophisticated <laughs> and funny <laughs> that I thought it was going to be a great evening for that film. But. I think I think about those jokes like every day since the show. They were oh, just God. I shouldn't call them jokes. Maybe that did also activate that fear, though, being like, oh, God, is this what Oscar voters are thinking? That Barbie is just like a plastic doll with boobs and that's as far as they're going to think about it. Yeah, it is scary. Yeah, could be. So you're saying there could be no women in this category, or there could be just Justine, or there could be three. <laughs> if Justine were to get in, you know, I think that's how G- Greta Gerwig would miss. Mm. I don't know that Greta Gerwig would miss for, like, like a Bradley Cooper who it doesn't feel like is going to have the the heat here. He may have gotten into DGA. I guess but that's something that could happen. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I think it will be some combination of uh, – some combination of those three women will will be in that five. I would I would bet on that. Rebecca, do you want to talk more about past lives? And um, I guess not, it being not being at SAG is not a gigantic surprise. We were just saying how like small ensembles can have a tough time there. But um, how are you feeling about it in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I was. I think we can kind of consider that past lives and May December sort of similar with SAG that they're not the kind of movies that. Uh, get in there. But I, I, I was wondering if Greta Lee, you know, the lead actress might get in um, in the acting category in SAG because she's been, you know, out there and I feel like included in a lot of things. So um, but I, I don't think SAG is a huge indication. Um, I feel like the film definitely needs to stay present on, in voters' minds as, as best it can. Um, there's just so much competition. But uh, I'm not too worried about it. Like, not being in picture or something like that. Also because, you know, one of the ways to get a SAG nomination is to swim from Cuba to Florida, and Greta Lee did not do that. <laughs> she could late. if she wanted to. <laughs> but Annette Bidding did. I wasn't surprised to see her in SAG because yeah. I, I, I think that was such a feat of acting, you know, like physical, t- you know, taxing for the body and the mind and all that. Um, and I think people appreciate that. I also think sometimes the SAGs can kind of go with, like, expected narratives in a way because... I, I don't know, whatever the group think is there. But I, again, and in, in the way that certain people not getting nominated at SAG doesn't make me worried for them at Oscars. Yeah, I don't know that Benning getting nominated here convinces me that she's one of the five, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Mm. I always thought she would get in at SAG. I mean, the yeah. minute I saw that movie, I was like, that is a SAG. Yeah. <laughs> These are two SAG Award nominated <laughs> performances. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Richard. I think that Greta Lee not making SAG... You know, if Annette Benning didn't make SAG, her campaign would be over. And I don't think Greta Lee's campaign is over. Mm. Um, 
that's you know much like Sandra Huller, I did not expect her to pop up here. I expect yeah. her to be nominated. It's it's different mm-hmm. groups. I don't think Annette Benning is out. I think she needed this, and I think having her. I guess we're talking about actors now. Um, I, her combination, you know, the combo nominating of her and Jodie Foster helps her a lot. Um, because she's not on her own and people love Jodie Foster in that movie and they love them together. Um, so there's a world in which she could, you know, inch ahead of someone like Carrie Mulligan or I think even Margot Robbie, because I don't think Margot Robbie is the vote for that movie. So I think that's a pretty fluid race based on what we've seen. I thought the industry was trying to get rid of packaging, David. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, I was delighted to see Margot Robbie get in for Barbie. I think her performance specifically in that movie has been so underrated. And again, mm-hmm. Barbie has a lot. Margot Robbie's doing fine. Um, but I just I, I want some recognition. If she doesn't make the Oscar final five, I can live with it. But I'm glad that there's there's this at least. There's just so many good performances. It's it's, it's nice to see a lot, a lot of different. Overall, all these award shows, I think that voters have done a reasonably good job of recognizing a lot of different kinds of movies uh, and performances. Uh, I don't know how the Oscars will shake out because there's so much. Um, You know, Natalie Portman feeling so far out of the conversation feels wrong to me, but that's just kind of the way it has to be, uh, given how stacked it is. Yeah. I mean, we should talk about the Golden Globes and Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone both won, as I think many of us expected. Um, And Emma Stone had a great night. She was really funny in the press room. Taylor Swift is there. She's friends with her. Um, But I did notice that just as she did at the New York Film Critics Circle dinner, Lily Gladstone got a standing ovation uh, as people Mm -hmm. as she was walking Mm -hmm. to the stage. That doesn't happen to every actor, Um, maybe even especially at New York Film Critics Circle. I think she was the only person who did besides an honorary award. Um, Again, tiny room, both of them. But that that meant something to me for, you know, as we still talk about that race, maybe coming down to Lily and Emma. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there is a ton of momentum behind Gladstone for many obvious reasons that we've spoken about a lot. And I, I just, I was trying to come up with like, okay, so does the, the split win at Golden Globes mean that, that Emma Stone is like the, the chief, you know, uh, upset potential uh, over Gladstone. And I think that probably is true, but I I don't think she's that close. Mm. You know, maybe I'm misreading things, but I just feel like Gladstone is so far out ahead. Yeah. Whereas with actor, you know, Murphy, Killian Murphy got a standing ovation at, at the, um, at the Golden Globes. And that felt, you know, significant as well. Uh, but oh, yeah, know, you could- tweeted about that and people thought you were being shady. Oh, yeah. I said, oh, Killian Murphy getting a same ovation. Very interesting. And people were like, why? He's been in the industry for 20 years and he deserves it. And I was like, Twitter is so bad now. I wasn't saying anything shitty. I was just saying like he's probably going to win at the Oscars. I don't know. He's the opposite of Bradley Cooper, where if you say anything that anyone perceives about Killian Murphy is remotely negative. You will be attacked. Yeah. Well, I learned my lesson the hard way. But you know what? I'm just embracing deleting tweets and then going private. Like, you know, I do it probably every other day and it feels good. So I was too distracted by the lipstick on Killian Murphy's nose um, as he was giving a speech. Just I don't know, something about it is just like, oh, look at this like reserved man, like with lipstick on his face. It really uh, I feel like that that's an extra couple votes right there. He was stressed about it. I think his stress was making me stressed about it. <laughs> he was so cute, though. He's like, listen, wife, next time. No kisses on the nose. <laughs> Nude lipstick, please. 
Uh, I mean, if we want to jump to actor, he and Paul Giamatti were the winners at the Golden Globes. Um, I think I wrote about this in our live blog that it still doesn't give me any more confidence about who's going to win this category. Mm-hmm. I think the Oppenheimer strength at the Globes made a lot of us feel like, oh, maybe Oppenheimer really gets two Oscars in acting. We'll talk about that. Um, but I don't know. I still feel like I don't understand where this category is going to go in the end. That five, though, at SAG looks pretty, pretty credible for Oscars. Um mm. You know, I mean, we Domingo hasn't really been popping up much, but like, I think this is maybe really where that starts. Um, obviously, DiCaprio's out there lurking. Uh, and there are oftentimes when people win a SAG or get nominated for SAG and it doesn't translate to Oscar, the opposite can be true as well. Um, but I don't know. I just that that five Cooper, Domingo, Giamatti, Murphy, and Jeffrey Wright, like that feels pretty much like mm-hmm. my top five. Yeah, I feel the same. I have Andrew Scott instead of Coleman Domingo, and now I'm going to go duck. <laughs> well, yeah, could be right. Keep hope alive, David. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that was the BAFTA thing for you, right, David? Like you knew it needed to do well at BAFTA, and it really, really did well. Yeah, it exploded at BAFTA, and there's usually several Netflix nominees here uh, that don't go through. Um, they just there's a lot of visibility for SAG with Netflix contenders. I I knew Coleman and Domingo would show up here. I'm glad he did. It's it's again, it's an Annette Bening situation. A lot of these Netflix films. May December is such an atypical Netflix movie. I don't think you can, you know, consider it in the same way. Um, they also bought it. They didn't make it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think with Coleman, you know, he's been campaigning really hard. He, he had an, he actually think said it to Rebecca, right? In your interview with him and Ava DuVernay, the surprise of not many people actually seeing mm-hmm. Rustin, despite how much he's getting out there and the frustration of that. Yeah. Um, and so this is a sign that it was seen enough, which is very, very important because, you know, he's not a huge name. He's not going to get on his own. Um, so that's a major hurdle. I kind of don't think DiCaprio is really in this race at this point. Um, maybe you guys disagree with me, but I feel like if there is someone who's going to replace this five, it's going to be a passion pick. Somebody like Andrew Scott. Um, mm. In the way that Paul Mescal took out, let us not forget, Adam Sandler, SAG Award nominee Adam Sandler last year. Um, so that, yeah, that's that's kind of where my head is at. I agree that this could easily be the five. Um, but I think if someone were to disrupt it, it would not be DiCaprio. I mean, DiCaprio is kind of going to all of these events and saying, like, please don't look at me. Look at Lily Gladstone yeah, as much as possible. And good for him. It just doesn't feel like he's going to be high on a lot of ballots, especially since that is not a character that people are going to want to get behind. It's true. He does he's, he sort of has been like walking her down the aisle. <laughs> like it's It's been like kind of a, I don't know, it's just an interesting, I don't think I've seen that before, you know, uh, where mm-hmm. a big actor like that is kind of escorting the their co-star in the hopes that that will bring more attention to the co-star. I'm sure it's happened he's almost before, he's almost been more present on this campaign trail than he was for the revenant even though he's not talking about himself at all I mean he is he goes to everything mm-hmm. he talks about her constantly he's done covers with her he has done interviews on her behalf um, he's been very available but just not for himself which I think is exactly how the campaign would hope it would go <laughs> to be honest with you I mean they want him to get nominated obviously but uh there are you know bigger benefits. Uh, to what he's doing, even if that is at the expense of a nomination for him. 
She had a great quote about us in the New York Times, I think. She said it's like she has like the mythical creature that she's like leading around with her, who's going (laughs) with her with her own volition, which is Mm -hmm. really how it feels. In his dark materials, her her daemon. Her daemon. Yeah. (laughs) Am I misremembering that this is kind of how it felt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which he did get nominated for, but like Brad Pitt was the focus of that. And I don't think he like, you know, escorted Brad Pitt down red carpets, but it felt a similar thing, like taking a step back, being there to support his co-star, but not wanting to be the focus. Yeah. I think he just likes to take a step back. That campaign didn't feel, I mean, feel like this. I agree with David that I've never seen him out there so much as I have this season. And I think usually his preference is to not be out there. And he's Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. He doesn't have to be out there. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, this feels very different to me uh, as well, even compared to that campaign. I think that one, I mean, that was a much stronger contender in movie than yeah. Nyad, but it was a similar sort of package deal situation. They really weren't done with packages back then, Richard. Um, <laughs> where it was, you know, he he did feel kind of swept along the Brad Pitt train in the same way I think Benning would have to be with Foster. Uh, well, this all conveniently got you away from telling me who you think is winning Best Actor, because I already said, I don't know. Does anyone feel like they know? I think it's going to be Killian Murphy. I think he gets swept up in a bigger Oppenheimer thing. And, I, and as much as there will be a lot of votes for Giamatti, um, I don't think it'll be enough. Do you think Oppenheimer's winning like nine Oscars or like some like really huge number for this for these days? Yeah, I mean, I just think I think it's going to get so many nominations. I mean, I think the Emily Blunt, if we want to move into another category like Emily Blunt in supporting actress like that for me confirms that narrative. You know, we've been we kind fact of that she's wondered getting about, nominated. Yeah, because we kind of wondered about that, you know, um, and I just feel like I don't know. I think that's going to happen just because Oppenheimer is such a phenomenon. Everything Everywhere All at Once, I just looked up, won seven Oscars, which I think is, a, is a, about as big a sweep as we've gotten in a long time. Um, but I think I agree For that an independent movie yeah, that especially. is huge. Um, but I think I agree that Oppenheimer could win a lot more. David and Rebecca, do you guys agree with Richard? Um, I've, I mean, I've gone back and forth so many times. I also, you know, we don't quite know how out of it Maestro is and how out of it Bradley Cooper is. You know, my, it's done very well with Guilds. So there was a lot of talk about how, well, that's the end of the road for Bradley Cooper. And it probably was, but I'm not ready to, you know, put my stamp on that yet. I think he's, you know, a solid number three um, right now. I think I would I would go with Killian Murphy. It just feels like at this point that film is so strong that its lead actor would get swept up in the same way Michelle Yeoh did last year. Um, mm. It feels similar to that. I'm going to say Giamatti because this is my last time to proclaim mm-hmm. it before the Oscars. <laughs> so right. that you All guys the hot can takes play, are coming in. You can, you can just play this back <laughs> when when it's uh, March. But I, I don't know. I feel like last year the complaint we kind of heard after the Oscars was, well, one film won so much it was kind of boring. And I just wonder if people, voters might think about that and spread the wealth a little bit more this year. I don't know. I don't. It's just something that I remember hearing last year. So... I think Jamani's doing a lot better than we we all he's thought he well. would. And now that he's, you know, getting photographed and in and out, it's like, well, of course, <laughs> this is the next step is winning an Oscar. So uh, I to plug myself, if you haven't listened to the interview I did with him that was on Tuesday's episode, uh, it was so great. He was so funny. It, I, think, I just listened to it, Katie. It was so good. It was he is so a, good. I do not give myself credit. He's a delight. And he's such a curmudgeon in the holdovers that I think you can convince yourself he's not incredibly fun, but he really is. The moment when he asks you, have you seen the movie Game Night? And you uh-huh. just don't, you cannot contain yourself is <laughs> one of the great podcast moments of the year oh, so far. what a personal thrill. He too loves Jesse Plemons and Game Night, for those of you who haven't listened. So he's correct. <laughs> 
Um, okay, Richard, you brought up Emily mm-hmm. Blunt uh, as we try to make our Guess way through the course. There's so much to talk about. You often are. <laughs> um, supporting actress. Um, it went to Dave Fine Joy Randolph at the Golden Globes. She's nominated uh, in SAG, of course. Um, to me, I think it's a question of who gets in behind her. I, you know, she's just going to win this. Again, knock on wood, but like she seems incredibly unstoppable at this point. Yeah. And I I think that we should maybe use the Randolph example to also kind of talk about Charles Melton, where Mm. I think on paper, it's like, well, Charles Melton keeps winning these critics prizes and Dave I joined Randolph keeps winning these critics prizes. So why aren't both seeming locks for Oscar? And I Hmm. can't quite explain it. But it's clear. uh, It's clear to me why Randolph is going to take this all the way and Melton Never was going to, I don't think. But I don't know. Should we kind of try to dissect that or do people? I don't know. It's number one, a difference in the movies. Yeah. Um, Supporting actress and supporting actor function a little bit differently, which is why I have been the person on this podcast banging the gavel saying Charles Melton cannot win this award, perhaps (laughs) annoyingly, because I wanted him to. It's not a personal preference thing at all, but they can be very hard on hot young men they don't know that well um (laughs) that's just a fact (laughs) and they do not treat supporting actresses that way i would say and um so that's one thing and then the second thing is the holdovers is a top contender and may december is not and that's makes a big difference i also just think it's a matter of where they came from. Davine Joy Randolph, you know, because both of them have had, you know, mostly TV careers, Davine especially on stage as well. Um, but people see Davine Joy Randolph on Only Murders in the Building or, you know, these shows that have a little bit, they feel a little bit more elevated. They they garner she that went to audience. Yale. She went to Yale, whereas Charles Melton came from Riverdale. And there is just going to be a more of a leap for uh, voters to take in terms of taking that seriously, maybe, uh, as much as they should. I wanted to bring in a stat that was sent in by a listener who wants to be called Donkey Gospel. Just putting that out there. Um, All right. I pointed out that from 2010 to 2023, with only two exceptions, Leslie Odom Jr. and Brian Tyree Henry, who is the exception we always talk about, um, every Best Supporting Actor nominee had fit one of these three criteria, been from a Best Picture nominee, been paired with a lead actor or actress nominee from their film, or been a previous winner or nominee. Um, and based on you know what we're seeing at the SAG nominations, like Charles Melton might be none of those things, which is a bummer mm-hmm. for those of us who love May, December. But I think that speaks a lot to what you're saying, David, about the challenge he's facing. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it in terms of data. That is exactly the problem. Do we really think that May December doesn't have a chance in the ten of Best Picture? I think it does. It I think it has to, a chance, right? but yeah, I, I think that there are nine near locks, um, in my opinion, and I think that the movies fighting for that tenth slot, there are quite a few, and it's one of them for sure. But 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 the Academy surely has to know that an esteemed Vanity Fair critic named it the best movie of the year, right? Like, mm, they always mm. take that into consideration, As goes don't they? and so goes the nation. Right. We know like, that. Mad Max Fury Road, look, I'm the, I'm the reason that happened. <laughs> well, you couldn't get to win Best Picture, not that you. <laughs> well, I tried. Um, no, I think I think that's a great stat from um, our listener, Donkey, what was it, Gospel? Donkey Gospel. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think Melton being the the kind of cheese stands alone nominee for that movie, that's tricky, especially because Tyreek Henry had more momentum behind him in the years leading up to that nomination. Um, you know, he was he's been a respected actor for you know the better part of a decade now. I feel like, and did he also go to Yale or is he a Juilliard guy? He's one of he's those Juilliard. Okay, yeah, this I think he's Juilliard acting school it doesn't hurt. I think he was in the, the same class as someone. Was it, is it Chastain? Maybe I don't remember. Anyway, um, but. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think the Melton thing. I still feel like I don't know. I think that Melton will still get a nomination, but at, at the Oscars. But maybe I'm nuts, and and his road has ended. I I think he can too. Um, to me, the bigger miss here was actually Julianne Moore. Uh, she's popped. You know, the film did not do well on the BAFTA long list at all, which to me was. Uh, very notable, even though Netflix didn't distribute it in the UK, uh, which I'm sure hurt a little bit. They love Todd Haynes. They nominated Carol for Best Film back when they only had five, nom- you know, they had five nominees, um, unlike the Oscars. And they've been generally warmer to his films. So the fact that Charles Melton didn't even make the list of 10 there was very worrying, I think. But Julianne Moore did, and she's been the person who's popped up the most consistently, even if she hasn't won the most, like, Critics Awards Mm-hmm. Um, and she's beloved. So the fact that she did not make the SAG five indicates that the movie is definitely playing from behind at this point. And Melton is probably its best shot and maybe only shot outside of screenplay. We'll see. Ugh. So if it's hard for a supporting, maybe it's, maybe this is just for supporting actor, not actress, but if their picture, their movie's not nominated. Oh, but she's won before. Cause I was going to ask about Penelope Cruz and Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who, who was like presumably replaced Julianne Moore, right? I think yeah, yeah. that's kind of a yeah. one to one almost. Yeah, she was a runner up this past weekend. We've I voted for the National Society of Film Critics. Like her name has been kind of out there, but I hadn't really slotted her into a five. And I guess maybe I was kind of forgetting about it. But um, but yeah, I mean she's yeah she has at least one of the credentials. So never mind. Rebecca, did you also think of the few weeks? Uh, before Oscar voting in the parallel mother's year where every single person would bring her up and she mm-hmm. kind of had fallen out yep. of the conversation. I mean, this it was very convincing actors yeah. love her and I may be alone on this podcast, but I think she's phenomenal in the movie. Oh no, she's great. She's really good. Well, Richard, I don't know if you know this, but th- we have a real gender split here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I begrudge Penelope Cruz nothing. And uh, yeah. although I would like to see Julianne Moore get some recognition, that's all. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Uh, before we get further in supporting actress, I do just want to say Brian Tyree Henry did go to Yale. You know, Yale people tend to be chill about like misremembering their school. Oh. So I know they wouldn't have made a big deal about it. Sorry, so. Brian. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. just, I thought it was Juilliard. Uh, you know, those acting schools, it's hard to keep track. Um, okay, back to supporting <laughs> actress. Um I mean, if I made an Oscar five, I would probably just swap in Julianne Moore for Penelope Cruz and call it a day. I mean, Traji B. Henson, we mentioned, has like been out there really visible. That would be a double nomination for The Color Purple, which would be really interesting. Um, but otherwise, I think we're kind of down to the to six or maybe seven of who could get in here. America Ferreira missed again. Um, I just don't know. You know, she's she's lovely in the movie. I just don't know that that's his, you know, a statement enough as a performance 
uh, to get enough votes. So that to me felt like maybe the end of the road for her. You know who is interesting is Sandra Huller. She did make the BAFTA long list. And if Zone of Interest really pops, and she really pops because she's obviously a big story this season, I, I could see her being a big surprise. What if she got nominated in supporting but not lead? How crazy would that be? Um, I am of the mind that she's an absolute lock for Anatomy of Fallen. I will take that to my grave. <laughs> so we can wrap it up with supporting actor. We talked a lot about Charles Melton, of course, who didn't make the SAG list. Um, but the other person who didn't make the SAG nominations was Mark Ruffalo, who was incredibly cute at the Golden Globes, I think we have to say. Um, and I think he kissed Rami Yusuf when they won for Poor Things, and that that's the gif I saw a lot. Um, it's weird that he didn't get in there for supporting actor for Poor Things. Willem Dafoe did, but um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. weird. It's weird. He's really <laughs> beloved by actors. I, I can't find a reason. And, and who... But who took a spot? Willem? Do we think it should have... Sterling K. Brown, yeah, I think. Maybe. Sterling K. Brown, I guess, took a spot. Yeah. But he's also beloved by this voting body, so... He is. Didn't this happen... Was Mark Ruffalo nominated for Spotlight? He wasn't, right? He was, and he did not get into SAG. So it is. it would be the same okay. thing. Yes, he was Oscar nominated for Spotlight. Okay, because yeah. I, I feel like there was a year... I, th- I don't know. There was like... Maybe I'm thinking of Michael Keaton, where it was like, oh, but Rachel McAdams got nominated instead. I feel like with Defoe and Ruffalo, it's like... Oh, it's the same movie, but it's a, the other performance. You know, I and I, I don't know. The Defoe thing is interesting here because I thought that Ruffalo was like beloved by actors. Maybe, maybe you know, I mean, maybe I'm just going off of one I interview they, I watched that's with a lot of Danny people Jr. beloved but, by actors in this category, right? Yeah, no, true. I mean, Def, not yeah. Defoe is not Defoe hated or was beloved yeah. by the Academy, yeah. especially. Yeah. So this to me is like, oh, he's getting in. I mean, maybe mm-hmm, Ruffalo mm-hmm. gets in too. I think he probably will, but. Uh, Willem Dafoe got in for At Eternity's Gate. <laughs> oh, I will never, I will oh, never God. forget it. <laughs> that that is yeah. my prime you know. example of how he will just keep going. And I, I've always thought he was being a bit underrated for this movie. He's, he's the heart of it, and that goes a long way. Um, even last year with you know Judd Hirsch versus Paul Dano and the Fablemans, uh, and I think they had kind of been trading off. Paul Dano had gotten most of the precursors, but I always felt like Judd Hirsch was the stronger contender just because of the role he plays in the movie one and this kind of statesman role in this industry, and that can carry a lot of weight. I'm not going to use the the verb Katrina Balft again. That was a one-season-only thing. <laughs> but <laughs> it may be happening. <laughs> <laughs> and Katrina had done so well on the Balftas long list. It didn't, it didn't mean anything. Balftas and bags. Sorry. What a, what a, what a day. <laughs> yeah. To talk about the Golden Globes, I did have this moment when Robert Downey Jr. won at the Globes, being like, okay, now we can really get serious. Because, like, you know, I love Charles Melton. We talked about him a lot. I was excited for him. But I have all, all this time been like, well, but he's the one who's right there. And he did, I think, exactly what we all thought he would. He had a charming speech. It was funny. He, you know, sat beaming at Christopher Nolan as he gave his speech. He's being a good supporter of the cast as a whole. Um, you know, that just felt like everything really locked into gear. And we'll be seeing that a couple more times before the Oscars. Yeah, for sure. I also wonder if, you know, Sterling K. Brown was nominated for a Spirit Award um, so that he was already on the map. But I kind of feel like this solidifies him more in this narrative than I thought it would. Or am I just, is this just Sags being Sags? I think he's definitely like had an uh, uh, an increase in momentum. He's He's been getting out there. I did a piece with him about American fiction more than I sort of expected him to for that role. So I think he's still, he's definitely in the competition, but I feel like there's, you know, six performances that are ahead of him, at least. Mm. I think, like Rebecca said, too, he's 
he's a real SAG favorite. You know, he yeah. he won for This Is Us, and um, I think the SAG also loved that movie. He's totally in it. Um, I, it's interesting how it, it it felt a week ago like supporting actress was a lot more chaotic, but I think that race has narrowed. Whereas I don't really know where this is going now. Um, it mm-hmm. feels like it it expanded. I did not expect Brown to pop up here. That was a nice surprise. And there's a lot of, you know, interesting contenders like Charles Milton. I think Dominic Sessa can't fully be ruled out, um, you know, who missed here and who probably still percolating. Did, uh, while well, I have Brian Tyree Henry's Wikipedia page <laughs> pulled up, did he get a SAG nominee? Was there any precursor for him showing up for Causeway or was the Oscar really the first one? I'm trying to remember what that comparison Spirits, is. Spirits. And I yeah. believe Spirits, he got okay. into Critics' Choice. Okay. I wonder if that, like, who this year is Brian Tyree Henry we should look out for. Because it does feel like this is the category where something like that could happen this year. Is it Peter Sarsgaard? I mean, I said it before. Like, I kind of feel like there's an Oppenheimer supporting actor in there. Like, Mm. there's a Matt Damon, maybe, you know? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, People loved him in air, but he's not going to get nominated for that. But maybe he could slot in, you know, thinking of, like, the two Roma people being nominated. Or uh, Jesse Plemons getting in for Power of the Dog along with uh Cody Smith uh McPhee. Yeah. 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 Be funny if supporting actor is Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo, Matt Damon and Robert Downey Jr. and like yeah, one more person and, <laughs> and <Ken>. Charles Bell. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Before we wrap this up, um, a lot of television awards were handed out at the Golden Globes. A lot of nominations happened at the SAG Awards, and the Emmys are coming up next week. I like the Emmys, and I want to be able to talk about them more, but it is so hard to fit in with all of this Oscar craziness going on. So with you know. I'm excited for to watch the Emmys. I think it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of drama that we'll be keeping an eye on. Um, I don't know that the Globes or the SAG nominations shed much light on that because the Emmy voting was concluded in August. Time is very strange in the situation. Um, I will say I'm very intrigued by the bear and how much of a coronation that's going to have on Monday. I think everyone's really excited to see Iota Berry and Jeremy Allen White and everybody else kind of do absolutely anything. Um, do you guys have anything, in as much as the Emmys feel like they are kind of, you know, wedging their way into a season where they normally are not and hopefully never will be again, um, what are what are you excited and intrigued by for watching the Emmys this coming Monday? Well, I... You know, we have our predictions up on the site right now, and this is a smaller category, but, you know, there was this weird switch with talk series and uh, sketch series, and I had to predict sketch series, which now includes John Oliver going against Saturday Night Live. And it's a small category, but it's like both of those shows have won for six or seven years in a row, and now they're Mm -hmm. competing against each other. So one of them is going to be a loser this year. Uh, So that's that was sort of a random category that I had to rethink after completely forgetting that television existed for the last couple of months. So, <laughs> uh, David, you did the duties on actress in a comedy series, which I think I've been under, like I have not been realizing how competitive that might be. Uh, so to your quest, to your point that it is hard to get excited about the Emmys right now, I, I really thought about what could, could make me excited <laughs> about this show. And Natasha Leone winning for Poker Face would make me excited. And it would be a really nice surprise. Uh, I didn't really consider it would be possible just because Peacock is not seen enough. Those shows are not seen enough. And the Emmys are really, it's really dependent on meeting a certain certain threshold of, of viewership. But Judith Light won Peacock's first ever Emmy at the Creative Arts Emmys last week for Guest Actress. She is Judith Light. Mm -hmm. And so um, that (laughs) carries her a certain way. But Natasha Lyonne is Natasha Lyonne, guys. And um, 
Judith Light beat out big competition, including like Taraji P. Henson for Abbott Elementary, who was really wonderful in her episode. Um, so I, I think there's a chance that that could happen, especially since actress is a little all over the place. And Iowa Dabiri did not yet bump up to lead, where she would have won very easily, I think. Uh, so it kind of feels like a free-for-all. So that's an exciting race, and we'll see what happens. So I feel like when I was doing predictions, it was kind of like, well, the bear will win this, Succession will win that. We had Barbie and Oppenheimer became Barbenheimer. So my question is, do we prefer Bear Session or Suck Bear? <laughs> suck, suck Bear, bear obviously. Okay. You got to add beef in there, though, too. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, a three, it's a trio. Which has to be I'm doable. Not, I'm not saying Suck Bear beef on this <laughs> podcast, Katie. <laughs> I won't say it. Um, I just feel like those three shows are just going to kind of sweep so much. Um, but... So maybe it won't be that like dynamic an evening, but like maybe maybe I'm wrong. And there, I know there are like myriad other categories where they're not front runners lurking out there. But I just feel like we're going to hear those three shows, their names, many many times, as we just did at the Golden Globes. Yes, correct. The, the one race where beef probably won't win is supporting actress, and uh, that's been for a full year now a really fun um, two hander with Nisi Nash Betts and Claire Danes. Uh, for Fleischman is in trouble, Nisi Nash mm. for Dahmer. Um, those were two of the best performances on TV uh, of the season. And I don't know which of them will win that. Um, but either way, it'll be uh, a good moment for a great actor. I think my problem talking about Emmys is I can never remember what's been kind of cynically deemed a limited series, even though there's a second season coming. Like, So I kind of forget <laughs> what's competing against what, you know? Yeah. A great point. <laughs> that does it for this week's show next week's episode will be our live show from los angeles i really can't believe that it's happening it's very exciting um so we'll have a lot to talk about we'll be able to talk about the critics choice awards and the emmys in addition to talking to lily gladstone and the costume designers of killer to the flower moon Uh, again if you're in los angeles and want information about it email us at littlegoldmen at vf.com or just email us with your thoughts on other stuff Uh, we've been getting great listener emails um as since award season kicked up so we hope to get more of them you can also find us all over Vanity Fair, on social media at VF Awards Insider, and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylos. And David. David Canfield 97. And Rebecca, we hope you're not tweeting at all while you're on leave. But just in case, where can people find you? My new tag is maternity leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award, for the reason that David and Richard might not say hi to you after the Little Gold Men live taping, goes to David Canfield. They can be very hard on hot young men they don't know that well. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large... We're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie, Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.